you stand, please, for the reading of God's word? It's found in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You may be seated. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you this morning as we gather that you uh, have good things for us again as we look to your word. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, for the truth of your scriptures, for the practicality of it in our lives, for the things that you call us to because of your word. Father, I pray as we look at these passages that you would uh, stir our hearts, give us a sense of what you desire from us and what you desire to work in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. In the summer of 1979, Joanne and I and our two children moved from Nashville to Cleveland to begin a ministry with the pro sports teams. We bought a house in a, just a neat little street in Cleveland Heights. Lots of young kids, lots of young families. One of the families just a couple doors up from us, a couple named Paul and Chris, had a daughter about the same age as our daughter at the time. And um, so they spent a lot of time together, the, the two wives, the moms, and the two kids. And somewhere along the process, as they got to know each other, Joanne probably said to her, you know, you're expecting a, your second child around late fall. Um, our girls are getting along real well. We're, we're happy to watch your daughter when you go to the hospital. So that was all arranged. Sure enough, a week after Thanksgiving, we're having breakfast, and we get a phone call from Paul. Labor's here. Chris is in labor. Can we bring our daughter over? And so within a minute, he was at our door, their little girl wrapped in a blanket, still sound asleep. He just put her on our couch, and he vanished. He was in a hurry. We went back to breakfast. A half an hour later, he called again. Uh, we still haven't left yet, but we're going, and labor's really moving fast. Maybe one of you better come with us. So I ran across the neighbor's yard. I got to their driveway, and Paul was helping his wife into the back seat of their 1974 Plymouth Duster. I made a move for the driver's seat. He said, no, no. He said, you don't know the way to the hospital. I'll drive. Besides, you grew up on a farm. You've got more experience at this than I do. <laughs> he since denied that, but he said that. Well, <clears throat> I moved over, and we took off in rush hour traffic. I mean, we could have gone to jail five times at least by the We passed two and three cars at a time. We were dodging in and out of intersections. I mean, he was going to get to the hospital if anything was going on. And, um, you know, he'd been through the Lamaze training, and so he was trying to remember how to breathe and try to coach his wife, and it really wasn't going well. And about five minutes before I got to the hospital, hanging over the back of the front seat, I delivered a nine-and-a-half-pound baby boy. That was the easy part. 
he wouldn't breathe. I cleaned him up best I could, and I gave him mouth to mouth, and the doctor said later, yeah, you, his trachea was probably all gummed up with mucus, and you blew it right on into his lungs. Well, <clears throat> we got to the hospital, he ran into the ER, and somebody sauntered out after three or four minutes and took the baby and Chris back into the hospital. I did draw a conclusion that day, and that's that delivering babies should probably be left to the trained professionals not folks like me. As a college student many years before, I had drawn the same conclusion about evangelism, about spiritual birth. That was really meant for the trained professionals. Besides, I was an introvert. I was tongue-tied. I was coming up short on conversation. I had friends that shared their faith all the time, but not for me. I'd leave it to the pastors, the guys with the gift of evangelism. I'm just along for the ride. Well, <clears throat> when you look at this issue of extrovert and introvert, I'm an introvert. Pretty much our population is split on extrovert and introvert. So a little experiment here. Those of you that are extroverts, would you raise your hand? See those hands pop up? You know, if I'd asked for the introverts, we wouldn't have said a word. <laughs> you'd be asking too much of us. That, that's too expressive. Extroverts love books on evangelism. It's like pouring gas on a fire. They, they just eat it up. It's one more way to share their faith. Introverts, we feel guilty. Oh, no, I should be doing this more. And we struggle with it. These five short verses at the end of the book of Colossians is Paul's perspective on evangelism. And it fits both introverts and extroverts. It's great. You see, Paul is writing this book to the church in Colossae who's struggling with some heresy about the person of Christ. And, and in his ministry to them, he presents Christ in all his glory. He talks about Christ in his supremacy and his all-sufficiency for our salvation. And then when he gets to the end of the book, he begins to ask the people to pray for him. Pray for me, he says, as I deliver, as I talk about, as I proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ refers to the gospel. It was veiled in the Old Testament times, but now in New Testament, it, it was for all to understand. And it was a message for everybody. And so Paul is asking for their prayer, for his support. <clears throat> I'd like to focus on four words that come out of this passage that are so helpful in the area of evangelism. And, and as we read through them, as we look at them, look at it from the perspective of Paul. We kind of tag Paul as being a type A out there charging, and he was. But I'm not convinced he was an extrovert the way he prayed and asked for prayer. Four words. Let me begin with the first one. He asked for prayer in, in particular. Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This, this verse is loaded with characteristics of the kind of prayer that he's asking for. He begins with, make it continual. No one-shot deal here. Keep on praying for me. Continue steadfastly. It speaks to the motive of his prayer. Steadfastly was a term that was used for loyalty, a motive of love and commitment. And then he says, 
not just continue steadfastly in prayer, but being watchful in it. He's saying, be alert, keep your eyes open, watch what God is doing. And he ends with, do it with thanksgiving. In other words, leave it with the Lord, however he wants to answer it. The outcome is his business. And so it's a step of faith in that sense. Lewis Berry Chafer, a co-founder of Dallas Seminary, <clears throat> makes this statement as he ties evangelism and prayer together. True evangelism is not so much pleading with souls as it is pleading for souls. It's not so much pleading with souls, the man or per person I'm speaking with, but it's pleading for souls before God. So he, he's intertwined those two very tightly. You can't separate them. You know, in many seasons with the Cleveland Browns, I had some years where I had a very committed group of men as we started the season about walking their faith, about sharing their faith, about you know, being interested and cared for their teammates. And many of those seasons, we begin in late August as training camp broke, and I'd gather those four or five guys together. And I would bring a roster of the whole team, or maybe a dozen coaches, 15 coaches, and upwards of 60, 70 players. And we'd walk through the list, and one by one, we would draft players off that, off that list of who we would pray for every day. We'd go around the room, and we'd divide those names up. And those men would write those names on a, on a three-by-five card and put it in the visor in their car. And they would talk about driving to work every day, and they'd pull that card out, and they would remind them of the, of the men they were praying for. <clears throat> I'd have to say that on those seasons... Those were the years that those men came back to me all season long with, you wouldn't believe who I talked to this year. You wouldn't believe who I had a conversation with yesterday. You cannot believe. We were 15 minutes before we walked on the field to take battle with another team with 14 million people watching, and the guy next to you is asking me about my faith, why I went to chapel. Or a coach that would stop me on the sidelines during warm-ups and say, hey, what did you do last night in chapel? Tell me what, were the, what was the theme. I missed it yesterday. Or you'd have a player that would get on a flight to Denver and he'd have a two-and-a-half-hour flight and he said, wouldn't you know it, I, the last seat available, I was the last guy on the flight and it was a guy I was praying for. I hardly knew him. And yet he shared with me some struggles in his life and so... I had my Bible open, and we talked about the scriptures and about what God wanted to do in his life the whole trip. It just continued to go in that direction. So what does Paul ask for in his prayer? First of those three things, boldness. First he asked for boldness. Verses three and four. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, and here it is, to declare the mystery of Christ. Some translations use a better word in there than declare. Declare has the sense of a proclamation or you're coming to a person with a sermon on your mind. Um, the word really meant just to speak forth, to talk plainly. And so <clears throat> when, you, when you look into that, it was used in a sense of being willing to speak to anyone about anything, anytime. That's why it's boldness. Not brashness, not argumentative, not, not being pushy, but being forward to speak freely. My first two years in the ministry, I was at the University of Missouri working with college students. One night at a meeting uh, we had every week, 130, 40 students would show up for training, for teaching. 
At the end of the meeting, a young man came walking into the room, and he got up on a table in the back of the room and just sat there cross-legged on the table till about half the audience left, half the, half the students. And as he sat there and the students left, then all of a sudden he just erupted, and he was angry. He mocked the students for their faith. He belittled them. He created doubt in their minds. He just, he just pestered them for several minutes, and he got up and left. The next week, same thing happened. Sat on the table, half the students left, and then he erupted and began to rip the students for their faith. And why would you be so stupid? You're just a bunch of cows. Well, my roommate, another staff guy with Campus Crusade, um, said, hey, would you have a cup of coffee with us? So we went downstairs in the cafeteria, a room about this size. Just wanted to let him air his grievances a bit and, and maybe we'd have an opportunity to talk further. He was pretty angry that night, and one of the reasons he was angry was because of the number of disabled students on campus. That was a campus that was built for, uh, uh, with a disabled student in mind, so a lot of wheelchairs on campus, a lot of students on crutches, different disabilities, so everything was built with ramps and, and uh, elevators and so on. And so, again, loud, angry, he was going off on God, how cruel God would be to allow students to suffer as they did. Well, I, I was sitting here, and the, to my left was the guy, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was a girl in a wheelchair. She made her way across the back of the room, and then there was an aisle right behind me, and so she came up the aisle. I figured she was going to the front of the room to get something to eat. And as she passed my chair, I pulled in a little bit so I wasn't an obstruction at all in the aisle, and she wheeled in right between the two of us. Now, she had cerebral palsy. And so, you know, she had trouble with her motions, and it was a little uh, jerky. And, and so she reached in a halting way down into the, a bag that hung on the side of her wheelchair, and she pulled out a Bible. And again, not being in real control of her, of her motions, it didn't put it down any too softly on the table, and looked him in the eye and said, what are you all talking about? Silence. she proceeded to share her testimony. Talked about how loving God was, what plans God had for her life, what purpose and fulfillment God brought to her life. It, it was amazing. You couldn't have scripted this. She was bold. She just spoke freely about what God had done in her life. Notice why Paul wanted to speak freely. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. He talked about it too much. And they threw him in jail in Rome. He's under house arrest. And here it is. In order that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is asking them to pray that he'd be bold, speak freely so that he could speak clearly that he would speak clearly. You know, the scriptures talk about that those who don't know Christ live in darkness. Their minds have been clouded. He talks about it earlier in the book, that when you and I give our lives to Christ, he's taken us from the domain of darkness and put us in the kingdom of his son. And so, in making it clear, we're speaking to people who have different understanding of who God is. 
It's a spiritual battle. I, um, I can think of a time I remember sitting with a, uh, one of the Cleveland Browns. He'd asked to have lunch with me. I, I didn't know him very well. He'd just come to the team. He knew I was the chaplain. And so we sat down for lunch, had a great conversation, and he began to tell me about his family. His brother is a very committed Christian, and his brother had left sports and gone into ministry. And that just threw him for a loop. And so the more we talked about it, I answered his question why, what was going on in his brother's life, and why he would make that commitment. And so the conversation then turned a little bit toward where he was at spiritually. And he was very open to it. We had a very open conversation. And at one point I said to him, I said, you know, there's, there's a couple reasons why people don't give their lives to Christ. There are many reasons, but really often it comes down to two. One is that they have an intellectual issue. They, they, they don't understand the, the reliability of the scriptures or um, they don't understand the deity of Christ. Or, you know, there's, a, there's something they want to sort through. But I said, on the other hand, and I said, this is probably a bigger category, is that they disagree with God over something, especially moral issues. He began to smile, and he goes, that's me, that's me. That's why I've not given my life to Christ, because I don't want to give this up. What was really neat is in the middle of the conversation, he was very open to sort that through. And I had to say to him, I said, well, I hope there's a day that you do come to know Christ, but I'm really glad you understand why you've not yet. It was a, just a wonderful conversation. I think the other thing that I find so often is that people have not rejected God. They've rejected a character of God. God's disappointed them somewhere along the line. And this is what we need to make clear. The, the God who you think is isn't who God claims to be in the scriptures or is proven to be. And so much of that conversation that, that we speak forth and we work through for clarity is helping them understand, you know, this is who God is, and let me show you why. And, and I can tell you this is what he's done in my life or my friend's life. I think the other thing is that often people hear the gospel in terms of a benefit package, that God gives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, abundant grace, just incredible what God has given us. And he has, we should rejoice in that. But that wasn't the point of the gospel, is that before we come to know Christ, we're spiritually dead. And when we come to know Christ, he's made us alive spiritually. Something happens in us, and we become part of God's family, and he begins to work differently in our lives. And so many times people will say, yeah, I'm, do I'm doing quite well. I, I really don't need God right now, because they see it more as a benefit package. And so I think part of this dialogue then that we have with people is helping them understand what the gospel is all about, that God came to give them life, real life. So he prays for boldness so that he would speak clearly. Then he asks for the third word, opportunity. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. That word door literally means an opportunity. That God would give us an opportunity. So you say, well, what creates an opportunity? Relationships, uh, interest in other people, a willingness to listen to them, uh, a concern about their situations and their difficulties. That's what gives us opportunities. You know, I thought back through this the other day that in 50 years of ministry, I could, probably, I could probably find five instances where somebody said to me, would you, would you explain to me how to become a Christian? 
it didn't unfold that way. Maybe for other people it does. But I have a lot of opportunities. You see, because when I interacted with people, they wanted to talk about their marriages and their kids and their struggles at home and their struggles at work, their disappointments, their failures, their successes, their emptiness, their loss of something. Those are opportunities that easily lead to the gospel because they're experiencing some level usually of a lack of fulfillment. Something's missing. They, they know that in the, in the sense of their lives, something's missing. And so I, I find that when we talk about opportunities, it's, it's, a, it's learning, and for me at least, it's been learning to find ways to open that door a little bit and, and lead them maybe into a conversation. Are, are you interested in spiritual things? You, do you read the Bible at all? Um, and you know that it's so disarming. People are not offended by that kind of thing. And you find out real quickly what they're thinking and what they might be open to. I, I have a doctor that I see about once a year for a checkup. And um, I was seeing him last October, and, and I had a, an extremely tight day in my schedule. And so I'm thinking, okay, I don't have to wait long to see him. I, I'll get in, get right back out, and get back to my stuff. But see, this doctor likes to talk. It's kind of role reversal. You know, usually when you're meeting with the doctor, he's got a pile stacked up he's got to see. And so he's in a hurry and, and out. But not this doc. I know all about his grandkids and his kids and their careers and his career and his retirement plans and what art show he and his wife just went to. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, I brought my coat in with me just so I put it on. And he'd think, okay, he's on the way out. And then he said, you know, there's another doc, a colleague, a colleague of mine that's in a room a few doors down on this floor. He said, I've known him for years. I got in the elevator to leave the building last week, and he, he didn't look good. And I asked him if he was okay, and he said, no, I'm not. And then I found out he just died two days ago. He got kind of emotional. And so I thought, okay, dude, listen, this is an opportunity. And so I listened, and, and I asked him more about his friend, and he talked about him. And then we began to shift the conversation towards spiritual things, how short life was, and that you can't count on any days. And you could see him just mellow. Well, I wasn't able to go through the gospel, but I had a, a little, like a little leather-bound booklet in my coat pocket that was a compilation of the four gospels, and uh, kind of diluted into one, one message, one story. And I said to him, I said, you know, I don't know if you read the scriptures much, but this is a compilation of the life of Christ. Would, would, you, would you be interested in reading it? He said, sure. He took it from me and he paged through it. He said, yeah, I'll read this. And he walked me out of the office and I stopped at the front desk to do something, sign up for an appointment. I'm seeing him this summer. And, and he made his way around the corner and then he stepped back from the corner and he said, thank you, I'll read this. Who'd have guessed? A man I see once a year would respond. But it was an opportunity. And we have those often. And so, Paul's praying for opportunities. Third word, wisdom. Wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's a loaded verse. Conduct yourselves. Live a life with wisdom. Make it my pattern. Make it our pattern because of the outsiders he talks about, meaning he's referring to those who've not come into the faith yet. It's not a derogatory term. He's just saying those who've not stepped into God's family yet. They're outside. And he said, so we live with wisdom toward them. And then this phrase, making the best use of your time. That sounds kind of like you should weigh whether it's a good use of your time or not. It's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's, they've worded it that way in the translation because literally it means to redeem the time. Walk with wisdom so I will buy the right to be heard is what it's saying. I will buy up the right to be heard. Um, you'd have to agree with me on this. We have never, at least in my lifetime, we've never lived in a time where it's been such volatile conversations out there. Uh, people are so sensitive to what others say or believe or know or don't know. And, and it's so easy to get drawn into that and even get caught up in the wrong conversations. And, and I think that this is a passage that um, I, I find I have to soak on. God, what is it, what does a wise conversation look like? How should I approach this person in my relationship? And of course, then he says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, not salty, seasoned with salt. And so he's, he's, he's saying that the, the manner in which I speak to another person is going to affect how long I have the conversation and maybe even the relationship. Um, and so I want to be careful on how I walk and how I speak. And that, that takes some thinking through. Uh, we will never see somebody come to know Christ as you know through an argument. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. They come to Christ because God draws them. Uh, we're just the mouthpiece. We're just the mouthpiece. I can't, I can't persuade somebody to become a Christian. That's between them and God, and God draws them. John 6, 44. And yet, I don't want to be excused for someone not paying attention to the gospel. And so it's a, it's a real challenge for us. Now, I gave you an awful short um, outline today. Uh, that's because I stole this message, not the message, I stole the outline from a man who taught on this to a group of students 49 years ago. And I've not forgotten this outline. Because when you stop to pray about somebody else, there's three things I want to pray for. First thing I think about is bowing my head. B-O-W, boldness, opportunity, and wisdom. I can't tell you, as an introvert, driving to the Browns complex, needing to make conversation with men who are may, or may, may or may not be interested in talking to me. I heard men confess that when I came in the locker room, they went and hid in the sauna not because I was a mean guy or pushy, but because of what I represented. But when I bow, I pray, God, would you make me bold? Help me speak forth. Let me understand where these men are at in the conversation today that I might be sensitive to their need, that it might lead to an opportunity to get into spiritual things. God, help me speak wisely. Help me speak very good truth into their lives and to be helpful for them. You know, even in light of that, I would, I would say this morning, I've loved hearing Austin say so many Sundays uh, as he welcomed many in our congregation who are still sorting through this issue. 
if they want to become a Christian, if this, if this is what God has called them to, if God's pulling on their lives to trust him. And so I would say to those of you this morning, this might have seemed like kind of a foreign conversation, except you're thinking about conversations one of us may have initiated with you. But I would have to say in the midst of this, as we talk about the gospel, I would have to say this morning that I'd, I hope that maybe even today would be the day that you would make that decision. It's so simple. And I think back to several, several decades ago when I asked Christ to come into my life. Somebody shared with me and I understood that I was born with this sin nature. I was alien to God. Whether we're actively rebellious toward him or passively rebellious, I was an outsider. And, and what I needed was a relationship with God. And Jesus was the one who paid the price that I owed God. He paid my debt. And so becoming a Christian is an exchange program. I accept his payment on my behalf and put my trust in him to give me access to God and acceptance before God. And now I have the right to stand before his throne and speak with him with confidence that he accepts and loves me. And so I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And if maybe, maybe today for one of you this is the day and why, why let you put it off if maybe it's the day you want to give your life to Christ. So let's pray together. Father, I think back to that day that I did give my life to you as so many in this room have as well, that you were faithful, that you did offer up Jesus. I think of what I said to you at that time of, Lord, I recognize I need you. I cannot earn my way with good works or anything else. My parents can't get me in. My intellect can't get me in. But I can have a relationship with you because Jesus died for me. And so, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for giving me life, offering me life. And so today I give you my life, and I ask that you would take control of me, change me, make me the person you want me to be, make me alive that I might know God personally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, with the rest of us, when you make that kind of a decision, it's not the words that are any kind of magic, good or long or short or broad. The issue is the attitude of my heart that I have given my life to Christ because I, I give up. I cannot get to God but through Jesus. And I will depend on him and trust him for it. If you made that decision today, tell somebody. Just tell somebody. Everybody in this room would tell you we had a bunch of questions when we did that. What is this strange thing happening to me that my attitudes are beginning to change and my desires are beginning to change and how do I get to know God better? I grab one of the cards at the kiosk and give the staff your email address and ask for some materials. I prayed to ask Christ in my life today. Would send me something I begin to read. Um, women, there's so many women in women's ministry. Love to meet with women and answer those questions. Men, the same way. So many men in the men's ministry, men on staff. And myself, I'd love to meet with you. So, excited.